0: Before we get into the episode, head on over to RighteousFelon.com for all your favorite beef jerky flavors. I'd recommend starting off with the whole shebang Craft Jerky gift bundle. The jerky is smoky and savory, spicy and sweet. All of your favorites, all in one variety pack. Use promo code OCSN, all lowercase, to get 15% off at checkout. Don't miss this great opportunity. Go to RighteousFelon.com today.
1: You're as cold as ice. You
0: Hello everyone, welcome to the Ice Cold Takes Podcast. I am your host, Joey Demeglio, and the first move of the Rangers' long off season has already taken place as head coach Gerard Glant and the team mutually agreed to part ways last Saturday. Joining me to talk all about it is Nick Zararis. Thanks for joining me, Nick. How are you? What's going on, man?
1: Uh, the second round of the playoffs have been very boring. I'm gonna be honest with you. This hockey has been less than stellar. Uh, the Mets are an atrocity, the Knicks are hanging on by a thread. It's been a rough couple weeks here since the Rangers got eliminated.
0: Yeah, we get all the New York teams in the playoffs, and then like boom, (laughs) boom, 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 everybody's out. Like, yeah, yeah, you're not winning this year, you're not winning this year, and you're not winning this year, and then the Mets forget about it. (laughs) Yeah, uh, but yeah, the. The second round of the playoffs, like the first couple games, like the Vegas, the Vegas series, I thought were pretty good. And the Seattle series. But now all the games are like blowouts, which is kind of crazy. Uh, Toronto's game last night, game four, was uh, was a pretty physical one. That was a close game. That one was was pretty fun. But I mean, uh, it looks like Florida. I still think Florida's going to come out on top in that series. Yeah, I'd be shocked.
1: I mean, Bob's been great for them. That's been the biggest difference. I mean, he's having a genuinely great series, and he hasn't played like this in a while. Bob is one of the most confusing players, and maybe the history of the league. Like he went from being a Flyers cast off to winning two Vesnos to being the highest-paid goalie in the league. One of the weirdest career arcs you I can think of of any player in the entire NHL.
0: Yeah, he's got everything in in that in that arc, that character arc you just laid yeah. out there. <laughs> highs lows some more highs some more lows everything uh but yeah yeah, um rangers getting kicked out of the playoffs in the first round still such a disappointment i know dan rosen was uh he made a mistake the other night i don't know if you caught that he was saying oh the devils uh the rangers got caught in their own end and uh let up a goal or something like
1: that yeah Freudian slip the rangers are still trying to get out of their own defensive zone against the devils (laughs)
0: Oh my gosh, yeah, it's because the expectation around the league was that the Rangers would be, you know, cup finalists or cup contenders, and that didn't ha- happen. And now it costs Gerard Glant his job. Um, so now the question is, who is his replacement? There's been uh, names that have surfaced. We've already gone through and put to bed the Joel Quenville rumors. That's That, like, happened within, like, a few days. Like, they started the rumors and then stopped the rumors within a couple days which is nuts. And now it's like LaViolette, Daryl Sutter, Bruce Boudreau, and even Chris Knobloch are, uh, are the uh, the candidates now. Um, of those guys, like
1: who would you prefer? None of the retreads even slightly interest me. The only two retreads I have even slight interest in and neither is probably doable or brunette the uh, devil's assistant coach and mike sullivan who if the penguins let him go they would be very stupid to do but those are the only retreads i could really justify it's complicated because if you let a coach like the most of us assumed they were doing that because they already had the next coach in mind lined up i mean Gallant for his fault. He's got a decent paper resume. He would be the best of the retreads that are available right now. I mean, Daryl Sutter, the way he went out in Calgary, you can't justify that. Uh, Laviolette, same in Washington. You really can't justify that. Uh, Gallant's better than those guys. Uh, he does not have a better resume than uh, than uh, Sullivan. And Brunette, at least, is like, he doesn't really have a big track record, so you can kind of sell me on the open-endedness of it. That's the reason Knobloch and Jay Leach, the uh, Seattle assistant coach, at least slightly interest me is you don't know what they are you can sell me on them being a lot better than what the rangers have had the last couple of years whereas you bring in somebody who's already got a long established track record there's nothing to like project your hopes and dreams onto it's peter laviolette has been coaching non-stop in the nhl since 2001 he won a stanley cup 16 17 years ago with the Hurricanes the first year out of the lockout. He made two cup finals in other stops in Philly and in Nashville, but it ended pretty badly in Washington. It ended pretty badly in Nashville. Uh, He's been fired in season most of the time. The Capitals, they realized they weren't going anywhere this year, so they let him finish the year, but none of these retreads really interest me. Uh, If if you're going to do something bold like firing a coach with a decent track record for all his faults, you got to have a decent candidate lined up. And just to bring in another guy with a similar track record to Gallant, that doesn't make sense to me. If you want to go for it, and what that's really what the Rangers have to do based on their roster construction, is keep pushing chips in, be aggressive as possible, you got to go with one of these guys who doesn't have a big track record. Because at the very least, then you have the possibility of raising your ceiling, that maybe one of these guys can get through to some of these younger guys and the veterans in a way they haven't in a long time.
0: Panarin, Zibanejag, Kreider, they're all – like above 30 years old, right? So they're not getting any younger. You have to adapt to today's game. Take a look around the league, like Edmonton, uh, Colorado, Tampa Bay. Their coaches all started from the bottom.
1: Toronto's as well. Toronto, Toronto was Shelby the Mar- e- he was the Marley's coach for a long time before he got the job there. That's the way to find your own guy. You got to – those are the guys – who are about the hard work because the AHL is a teaching league. You have guys who are 33 hanging on to their careers and you have guys who are 21, 22. That's their first professional hockey after junior or college. You have to be able to accommodate a lot of different types of people and a lot of different types of skill sets. that's why you find great, you find the best coaches in today's NHL down there because that's where the real work is done. Everybody is trying to get better down there. And that includes the coaches.
0: And that's what I like about Knobloch is, and they're young too, right? So, and and if they've played in the in the the league or if they've played hockey at all, it's sometime within the past twenty years, not the past forty years. Yes, compared to like Daryl Sutter or uh, Bruce Boudreau or or Laviolette, even yeah. like those guys are more equipped to handle today's game. Like Knobloch, for example, has worked with. Guys like Connor McDavid, Alex yep. the Sam Reinhart. These are like, these are not just like any NHL players. These are impactful NHL players, like top caliber players, like top 30, top 40 players in the league. Right. Uh, that's a huge stretch. McDavid is easily the best player. Right. And then like yeah. Sam Reinhardt, I don't know where he would be, but the has got to be one of the best goal scorers in the league. Yeah. A couple of 40 goal seasons. Right. You know, uh, and he's worked with, I like the fact that he's also been in the organization for for a little while now, so he has some familiarity with guys like Lindgren or Heedle, even like, uh, you go and look in the guys that, in the minors right now, Hartford is killing it, they're in the third round, uh, they're about to kick off that that series tonight, uh, this Thursday, uh, that they were recording this. Um, but the guys like uh, Zach Jones, who might find his way up in the, the Rangers roster due to uh, cap Constraints and uh, Matthew Robertson, Will Cooley, those guys. So he has familiarity working with younger players. And if the Rangers are going to take the next step, they're going to have to let the guys they drafted pull a lot more of the weight. They took a big step forward this year, 40 point seasons from each of the kids, Taco Lafreniere, Heedle. Basically Lafreniere had 39, but essentially a 40 point season, right? So they have got to give them, more ice time, and I think Lafreniere, I've, I've talked about it before, Valcette said it too, he needs to work on his game a little bit too. I'm not saying that you just hand him the ice time and then they're going to you know, thrive. Uh, they have to put in a little bit more work too in the offseason, kind of like what Zivanejad did a few years ago.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, this is where the Rangers have historically struggled, is getting guys from that – they have talent to the their producing step. It's typically been a, a non-linear process. You think about Kreider, you think about Heatle, where up and down, up and down, up and down, not significant ice time, lower in the lineup, not getting power play time. It, it, it's, it, it's played out this way for a handful of guys. Of the guys on the team right now, you look at the ones who are making the most impact. They are guys who had their crucial years, 19, 20, 21, with other organizations, in Europe or in the NCAA, those are the key players on the Rangers team. Off the top of my head, you think about this group, Vinny Trocek, other organizations, Vinajad, other organization, in the KHL, Kreider, NCAA, you think about going down the lineup, Ketel, Kako Lafreniere. Those are the in-house guys. You talk about Jimmy Vesey, NCAA, Tyler Mott, NCAA, Fox Lingren, NCAA, Jacob Truba, K. Andre Miller, NCAA. So it's clear here that the Rangers haven't ironed out their, their developmental process yet, and they've had significant turnover in their front office. They had a group there for a long time that was incubating under Glenn Sather, where you had Gorton and Drury in different roles, then Say their steps back into more of this supervisor advisor role, where Glenn gets promoted. Excuse me, where Gorton goes to GM and Drury becomes the assistant GM that summer. I believe it was 2015. It might have been 2016. You have a long period of time where Drury gets job offers. Uh, the Sabers and Penguins both offered them their job offer. Drury their jobs before Drury ultimately became the Rangers GM. And now we sit here and we really don't know what they're prioritizing right now. That's kind of what I'm very curious about. And it's why the coaching hire is going to be so interesting to me. It's its one of the few opportunities you get a real understanding of what your front office is thinking your team needs to work on. Because if you bring in a guy who's a tactician, that tells me they think they're pretty close, that they just needed a better coach at getting more out of guys in terms of being consistent, scheme, that type of thing. Where if you bring in more of a developmental guy, you bring in somebody like a, a knoblock from the AHL, that tells me they think they need to further bring along some of these guys. And that's where I think you have a real argument why you can't do a retread again, even during the season when back in December, when the Barry trots talk was really loud, Barry's not going to do anything that different from Gallant. Yeah, they might play better defense, but he's not going to give Hedel, Kako, Lafreniere significant ice time. He's trying to maximize, win every single game, play low risk as possible. So that's why that's the real argument for not bringing in a retreat. Same thing with La Villette in Washington. I have a lot of Capitals fan friends who spent the last year and a half, two years complaining about how they've managed to bring along some of their young players like Conorick Michael, Jacob Verana before they traded him to Washington. So yeah, it, it's complicated. There isn't an obvious. obvious. Obvious answer, and that's why I think everyone is kind of surprised that a the Rangers fired Gallant without a clear replacement in mind. I think, and this is purely me speculating, that that they asked the NHL if they could hire Quinville, and Gary told them no. And I the reason I say that is um, on thirty two thoughts on Monday, Friedman said that. There will be a means of Stan Bowman and um, Quinville getting back into the NHL, but not on a timeline commiserate with taking a job for this upcoming summer, which leads me to believe that the Rangers asked and that teams have asked about Bowman as well. He's been linked to Pittsburgh. He's been linked to Calgary. So we we can I can guess that based on what we know, the Rangers were interested in Quinville, but the league told them no. So now we are where we are right now.
0: If I had to guess, I'm – pretty sure that James Dolan's barking up juries here trying to get because he lost out I, I keep saying this look at think about how much money the Rangers lost out on from not making it past the first round all the tickets all the concessions like that's,
1: that's a the real reason we're here man it is the reason we're here you think about those 2018 and 2019 seasons as lean as they were, the rosters that those teams played, the amount of Libor Hayek, the amount of Phil DiGiuseppe, Vinny Leteri, the, the just the bottom of the barrel, the Johnny fringe. Gilmore. Yeah, the fringe and AHL guys who were playing on the NHL roster because they gutted the roster, those two years were lean. It was easy to get Ranger tickets for less than $100 those two seasons. I went to a lot of games those two years because it was actually practical to do so. Then they have the opportunity to get guys like Panarin and Truba for just money and assets, not give up a ton. You bring them in. Adam Fox, a lot better than you thought he would be. You didn't have to give up a lot to get him. And then you stumble into another franchise goalie. And it's very quickly, it's very easy to believe in your team being better than it is because it makes everybody happy. Everybody's happier when they think their team is good. That doesn't, that's not particularly beneficial if you're a front office and you think your team is better than it is because you make bad decisions trying to enhance a roster in ways that doesn't need to be changed. But that's why we are where we are right now. I am firmly blaming the owner for the team's current situation because everything we know about the last three years, the way it's played out, has been owner-influenced. Patrick Kane is one of the 10 NHL players James Dolan knows. I guarantee you that is the only reason they traded for Patrick Kane after already trading for Tarasenko and uh, Mikola. That is the only reason Kane was here. It's probably the only reason Quinville's name was out there to begin with was that was one of the few people in hockey James Dolan actually knew. Right,
0: yeah, it's it's all about the the money here. Like, uh yeah. you lose out on all of that, and you you're impatient. That's why Gordon and JD were were gutted too. Yep. They were let go, and like they didn't he didn't want another losing season. Right, and then Drury comes in, and the team makes it to the conference finals. Now I'm interested to see if Drury can pan out and see, you know, what his team actually is. Like, see it for if it really is that good or if it needs work, like with this with the rebuild aspect of it. Because I say on here, on this show, that it's not done until Kako, Lafreniere, Hedl pull their own weight. And now it's going to be, it's not done until they are the guys. Like that's when the building process is done. And that's when those guys, the team is ready to to take the step forward because you can't just rely on... Zibanejad and Panarin to get stuff done because when they don't come up with it, you don't have a team.
1: Exactly. I, I say this all the time. This is an old Bill Belichick quote. It's true for the NFL. It's true for the NHL. There are 32 teams in the league, 12 teams eliminate themselves from championship contention. The first day of the season, they are not trying to win the remaining 20 teams, about 10 to 12 of those teams think they have a chance of winning the championship. Five of those teams actually can win the championship. It's the same thing with the NHL. The Rangers are the Rangers are one of those 20 teams that think they can win the Stanley Cup. They're in the 12, they're in the five, they are in the six to twelve range, where if everything breaks right for them, sure they could, but they are not in the upper echelon of teams in the NHL, the way the roster is constructed, where with the skill sets they've prioritized. And you can tell what they've prioritized based on what they've spent money on. What their money is tied up in is empty calorie offense it is power play specialists it is leadership it is intangibles it is things that don't translate to significantly successful hockey i mean i I talk about it all the time um what's history Corey schneider did his first round write up the other day and i didn't get the chance to finish it this morning but i was reading it the single biggest indicator the I think the split of the first round was 6-2 to in terms of the 8 series. Of the teams that gained the zone with possession the most, one of the 8 series, six of the 8 won. The Rangers are an okay to decent transition team. They were a decent cycle team this year. They were a lot better rush-wise last year, and now you're kind of at an impasse where you have put all your eggs in the basket of – Zabinizad, Panarin, Trocek, Kreider. That is the bulk of your team. And then we throw in Truba and Goudreau, those six guys. That's 53% of the salary cap in those six players. And very quickly, you understand why the Rangers are kind of stuck where they are right now and why the coach is going to be probably what defines Drury's tenure. If this hire doesn't go right, there's a good chance Drury doesn't get to pick another coach. There's a good chance if this goes badly, he doesn't get to pick another coach, and we're back to square one two to three years from now. So, <clears throat> excuse me, this will define his tenure. Mm-hmm.
0: I, I've also seen, like, going back to the regular season with the Corey Schneider stat, at some point around, like, the March like March 1st, the Rangers were top five in four check and rush, in rush offense. They were yeah. top five in both, and they were the most balanced team. And I was interested to see like your thoughts. If some people have thought, we talked last week on the show about how the Rangers were missing an identity. Do you think that's the case?
1: Oh, absolutely. They didn't have a bread and butter. They didn't have something to fall back on. You think about what makes teams successful in any sport. It's having something that is consistent, replicable, and you can do it over and over again. And eventually it's going to work for you. The Rangers this year, the entire season, even though they did have decent rush numbers and decent cycle numbers, Very inconsistent in terms of a lot of different components. The four check getting going, being able to break out of their own zone, good neutral zone play, very inconsistent in all three zones of the ice. And that lends itself to an identity problem. Because schematically, the Rangers want to play a soccer-style counterattack under Gallant. They want to absorb pressure. They want the other team to shoot low-quality chances from outside the circles, top of the circles, spring their forwards going the other way fast with speed. And that works in theory, but when you don't have forwards with incredible foot speed, you're going to have a harder time breaking out. If your forwards are flying the zone because they're trying to get to offense quicker, your defensemen have to make more difficult passes. You think about some of the issues. I, I retweeted it this morning, the, um, the, the failed zone exits. The Rangers had two of the ten worst in the zone exits in the entire playoffs in Schneider and Trubo. Those are guys who are just – not great foot speed guys who are going to have to use their physicality to win the puck and if they can't do that they're going to just treat the puck like a hot potato get rid of it as fast as they can that's how defensemen on the other team are going to pinch up they're going to knock that puck down at the half wall keep the cycle going and wear you out even if they don't score on that sequence they are wearing you out they are making your goalie work it's all interconnected and it's why putting the blame on any one person whether it be the coach the gm the forwards the defense it doesn't Everything is interconnected and it's really complicated. And I understand the average fan doesn't want to have to think. They don't want homework along with watching their team. They don't want to be inundated with stats about expected goals and courtesy. They just want to know if the team's winning or losing. Why? Who do I blame? Who do I congratulate? That's really all most fans want. And it's complicated in a sport like hockey where there are so many inputs that go into a given play. So I understand the frustration, but There are no obvious answers here. If there were, I'd be screaming them. This is a complicated situation, and I like to think there's a coach out there that could do something with this, but it's a really difficult situation to walk into a group that has really established veterans who are expensive and old. Oh, and, yeah, you have to take care of these four or five young guys who are going to be the team four years from now. It's really difficult to juggle both of those things. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm
0: hoping that it's not like, all right, the, in four or five years, like everybody else moves on and then Lafreniere is a manager or Lafreniere, Kaka become the guys. Like, I want that to happen right now. So that way the team.
1: That's the way it was together. supposed to work. It's, that is what I the Rangers was, sold it I on. Think
0: David Quinn. I think that was the idea of David Quinn, like that he was supposed to come in here and work well with the younger guys. But it didn't happen. No, it didn't
1: happen happen because in the 2021 season, the season that got everybody fired, they were managing that team like they were expecting to make the playoffs. I wrote about this last week in my my autopsy. I wrote about it this week in the why I don't really blame Gallant or Quinn. They were playing 35 games into Alexi Lafreniere's NHL career. He was playing seven minutes a game. He played less than 10 minutes a game 15 times in a 56-game season where the Rangers were 25-1 to to win the Stanley Cup. The Rangers did not go into that season expecting to win the Stanley Cup. Gorton and Davidson at their preseason like State of the Union press conference said, we don't expect to make the playoffs. It would be nice if we could, but we don't expect to. They didn't get the memo because apparently the owner thought they were and it got everybody fired. because. I, and that's where you get into the why I start blaming the owner more for all of this was the messaging from D- um, JD and Gorton was, we think we're going to be ready next year. They ultimately were ready next year and it took a Vesna season, one of the best goalie seasons ever to get there, but it took a, longer than they expected, and they don't want to put the work in. That's really the most stinging indictment I have of the, the team is they don't want to put the work in. They brought in guys from other organizations who are, were already developed, already finished products to try and cheat their way along. They brought in Gallant to – Raise the floor, not the ceiling. They bring in guys like Goudreau, Sammy Blay, Patrick Nemeth, Ryan Reeves. Raise the floor, not the ceiling. And they got pretty far last year. They got farther than anybody expected them to. I think they came into the season last year like 18, 19 to 1 to win the Stanley Cup. And we're two wins away from getting to the Stanley Cup final. They dramatically overachieved. And then this year... Everybody came in with the expectation, we're going to get there again, we're going to get there again, and they didn't put in any of the work to actually get there again. They spent the whole season messing around, not putting in consistent efforts. They still finished seventh in the league in points, as inconsistent as they were, which seems (laughs) remarkable, but it's really a testament to the talent. There is talent there, but to tap into it and get it consistently playing the way you want it to, we've seen two coaches undone by this group now. You could argue three, because at the end of the Lane Vigneault was, was the Ottawa series, where Zbigniewicz, Kreider, they played great. They didn't put the puck in the net. You think about further down that lineup, some of the guys in that lineup who weren't able to score, they played not terrible, but they weren't able to score. And you think about it. We're sitting here what, six years removed from that Ottawa series? And they're no closer to winning a Stanley Cup. They still got the great goalie. They've got a great number one defenseman. They've got Zabinijad. They've got Kreider. They've replaced Rick Nash with Artemi Panarin. They've replaced Derek Stepan and Derek Broussard with Vinny Trocheck, And they're largely a similar team. Yes, Panarin's a lot more individually talented than Rick Nash ever was, but he's got the same label Rick Nash did. Everybody kind of looking at him, wondering where the offense is, where's the consistency. And it's great. He was a little more defensively responsible in the playoffs, but he's here. He's getting paid the eighth most of any player in the entire league to put the puck in the net or set guys up to put the puck in the net. So I don't really care about the defensively responsible play. That's really where the why I'm so kind of I'm not mad. Like I know before we started recording, you said you were pretty mad. We're in the same exact spot we were six years ago, just with different guys.
0: That's a very, really, really like crazy comparison like Nash to Panarin, because when Nash was not getting it done, he was oh he got it defense. bad. He was he getting, got it yeah bad. he was getting it bad. yeah yeah, I'm agreeing with you. but the defensive aspect of it, he was great. Like he was oh yeah he, he became a defensive player when he was acquired for the sole purpose of generating offense. like yeah. the John Tortorella teams are known for to be de- defensive teams that block shots or whatever. We're going to hold you to one goal against every single game. We're going to rely on our goaltender. And they got Nash to get more offense. And then all of a sudden, he like completely like switches, flips the script, and becomes a defensive player like yeah he lost he
1: he changed his body type a little bit he was a little bit heavier he was a little bit slower he wasn't able to make as many high skilled plays but he was able to use his hockey IQ to have better positioning and improve his defense so kind of an evolutionary type thing not so much like kind of being pigeonholed which is what how I kind of feel what happened to Panarin where Glant was really harping on him to play better defense and that took away from his offense I think Rick Nash evolved I think he got a little bit older I think he was bigger physically I think he was a little more developed in terms of hockey iq and able to do a little bit more defensively yeah it took away from his offense i mean his best year as a ranger he scored 42 they went they were the president's trophy team he had a good season and it it sucks it never worked out the way it was supposed to we're going to be saying the same thing about panarin three or four years from now if things keep going the way they are
0: with with what you're saying about the 2017 rangers and this year's rangers where they where both those teams are at, So like you take where the this year's team is at right now mm-hmm. and you compare it to the 2017 team. That was the ceiling for the 2017 team. Like, No,
1: nah, they, they could have beat Ottawa. They, they should have beat
0: been, Ottawa. Okay, yeah, sure, maybe. But, like, I don't think they had as much talent as this oh, team no. does. No, they don't. This they team don't. left a lot to hate Brett Howden,
1: That team was playing Brett Howden on his offside. Not Brett Howden, excuse me, Nick Holden on his offside yeah, with, with Mark Stahl. Yeah. And that was the second pair. This team playing Ke'Andre Miller and Truba, infinitely more talented. But, again, we're going only as far as the power play and the goaltending can take us because we're not a good team at 5-on-5. Five five.
0: They couldn't even make the adjustments this year with the power no. play. I saw, I saw a stat on, on Facebook. I'm gonna pull it up right now. It's on my phone. Uh, there, there was two power play setups. One was four right-handers and one lefty, and the other was three and two, right? Yep. And so we've been claiming, we've been clamoring for that for years to do to do that. So setup one after the after the Kane acquisition, the Rangers played with two power play setups. One, Sabanajad Kane. Kreider, Panarin, Fox. It's four righties. Yes. Actually, no, wait. No. No, it's not. Never mind. Kane's lefty. Uh, and then uh, the other one, the other setup, Lafreniere, Hedel, Trocek, Tarasenko, Truba. Setup two, Zibanejad, Tarasenko, Hedel, Kreider, Fox. Then the second power play was Panarin, Kane, Trocek, Lafreniere, Truba. Setup one was four for 30, and setup two was 10 for 27. So... The one that was used the most was that first one and I have no idea why. I have no idea why. No idea why Zabanajab was moved off the left dot. No because
1: idea. Because they were why. accommodating Kane. They put way too many eggs in the basket of trying to accommodate Kane in his game. For all of his faults, he's still got the IQ, and he's still got the hands. That He's not going to be able to do the transition stuff he used to be. They put him in a position where he was going to be supposed to be ripping. At that circle spot, he was supposed to be firing shots, and he just didn't do that. He was passing. He was funneling pucks on net, looking for rebounds, and it didn't work. They fundamentally altered their power play, which is the most important component of their offense because they struggle at five-on-five to score to accommodate a guy they brought in specifically to put them over the top and he didn't do what they asked him to do you saw it that first week he was here he skated into Panarin on the power play three times that first week they were both on the on the same power play unit because he didn't know where he needed to be it's a lot to ask a guy to come into a situation completely cold and expect him to click. I mean, they gave him a good what four weeks of the regular season, five weeks of the regular season, and he still never looked entirely comfortable his entire time here. Tarasenko at least kind of figured out his role, but they put a lot of eggs in the accommodating cane basket when in reality they should have been treating him more as a a secondary piece. When they acquired him, I wanted them to play him on the third line, or I wanted them to play him with Heedle in the middle of him and Panarin and say, screw defense, go all in on offense. It's not like Panarin and Kane are going to give you defense anyway. You might as well give them a center with foot speed that's going to be able to do stuff like Hedl, and they ended up playing him a lot with Zbigniew and a lot with Trocek, which Trocek doesn't have the foot speed, and Zbigniew doesn't shoot either, the same problem Kane has. So you kind of ran into a redundancy issue, which is something that uh, Ray Ferraro talked about during his pre uh, series preview for Rangers-Devils was the Rangers are a supremely talented team. They have a lot of redundant skill sets. They have a lot of guys who do the same thing, same thing. Oh, and they don't have a lot of diversity of talent I
0: I think that he was also saying at some point this season Ray Ferraro about Panarin and Trocek and I think that's the uh that right there I think is a, is is right like I think Trocek is better suited to play with Kreider yes I don't know I, yes I, completely I, yeah even though even though you go back to like the, the Lions, the Rangers had at the very beginning of the season, the first 15 games. How those those were
1: the goals. best five-on-five five results they've had I in I have years.
0: not seen the Rangers in my life possess the puck like they did those first 15 games. No, But it was so damn frustrating that they could never find the back of the net. Remember yeah. all those posts they hit yeah. and stuff? and like they they had their opportunities i remember glant was saying like we don't trust the public models like i don't care what the public model said like i could have just not used natural stat trick for those i was watching the game i was watching the games too like they 90 or like let's say 70 percent of the game was spent in the other team's like territory that's a good thing that's so much better than like the previous year where it was the other way around where Shostokin was standing on his head and you, you counterattack and you score a goal or you, get a, you draw a, pal- a penalty and you score on the power play with Kreider's 50 goals. Like I would much rather prefer the, uh, the, that 15-game stretch. They just pulled the plug on it too early.
1: That was the that was the idea behind the lines I wanted to do. I wanted them to go back to Kreider's or Kako, because that's the best line they've had in years. I wanted them to run Tarasenko with with uh, excuse me. I wanted them to run Hedele with Panarin and Kane, and then I wanted them to run Trocheck with Lafreniere and uh, Tarasenko. And I feel like those lines are a little bit more balanced. They complement each other's skill sets. But here we are. It's the middle of May. There's no Rangers hockey, and we have this entire summer to complain and speculate and hope it doesn't go horribly bad this summer.
0: Yeah, and now the Rangers have, like, a sliver, a sliver of cap space to resign. exactly the cap space. It's 11 dollars 11 That's it. That's all they have, and they need to re-sign Alexi Lafreniere, DeAndre Miller, and then fill at least five more roster spots. So at least three forwards, one defenseman, and one goalie. That's just to get to like 21 skaters. Yeah. Right.
1: This, yeah. So let's do basic process of elimination. You can assume that Zach Jones is tentatively penciled into that last D spot because he's got no leverage. He's an RFA. He's going to get the minimum. He's going to get 800, 900,000. Cheap in house solution. Okay. Your defense is filled out. You still need to figure out if you're going to be able to play Lafreniere on the off-wing, if you're not, or if Kreider can play on the off-wing, or if Panarin can play on the off-wing. Because you need two top six right-wing. Yes,
0: that's a huge huge thing. The depth chart on right-wing is Capo Caco, Jimmy And nobody...
1: Yeah, (laughs) yeah, that's all they got, right-wing. And VZ was fine for what he was this year. He played way above my expectations. I thought he was just going to be a warm body, and he had a pretty good season, all things considered. They need they need one of the three left wings they have to play on the right. They do. There's no other obvious solution here, especially with the amount of money you have tied up in Kreider and Panera, and that's 18 million right there between those two guys. Yeah, one of those guys has to be able to play the other side. Otherwise, you're going to run into the same issues we've had for the last three years, where Lafreniere is not getting enough to- playing time, he's not developing enough, and we're sitting here wondering if he's ever going to be what we were promised. Arguably, I think
0: I think Lafreniere played his best stretch of hockey those first fifteen games of the season when he on was the right wing's right wing. Yep, yes. Yep. That was yeah, the most no. there's people saying like, all right, he doesn't look comfortable on the right wing. It's not the same as when he's on the left side. It didn't feel that way when he was playing with Panera
1: no that was the best hockey of lafreniere's career in the regular season he was great in the playoffs last year but in terms of regular season results in terms of expected goals Mm -hmm. high danger those are the best results lafreniere's had in his entire career were the first 15 games where he was playing on the right with panarin and trocek great Mm -hmm. results they just couldn't find the net and the coach had to save his job that's ultimately what it came down to why he Mm juggled the lines why we got top six goudreau and VZ was if they lost that game to the blues he was going to get fired and he had to find a way to keep his job
0: absolutely i i completely agree with you he was that was when it was at its its boiling point right there
1: yeah because the saturday night they lost the bad game to the blackhawks and then that monday they played the blues
0: and the Oil, yep. don't forget that Oilers lost too. The the 0 yeah. come or they they blew. That was the Thursday
1: lead. or the Friday of that week, yeah, yeah of yep. the previous week before the Blackhawks game. Yeah, no, that's that's door. It's been reported multiple places now that that was the plan. They were going to fire Gallant if they lost that game to the Blues. And the funny thing is, we were talking about 2017 before. Same thing happened to Elaine Vigneault. Halloween night, the Rangers were three and seven. Vegas came in. Larry Brooks wrote in the post: "If the Rangers lose this game, Gallant is going to get fired." And he wrote that, but be- it's not Gallant. Um, Vigneault. Before the game, he said, "If they lose this game, he's going to get fired." And they were losing two nothing. They came back to win three to two in the third period. I remember <laughs> because I was there. It, it really the the parallels are there. The parallels are there.
0: Oh my gosh! Yeah, but I mean this gonna be razor thin to, to resign all these guys like oh
1: yeah because you think about it you i think, think about it
0: chris drury could possibly you know negotiate hardball negotiate with deandre miller like i know oh, he, he has to he has, he to. has he's got to do the same thing that he did with like lindgren and and shesterkin already yeah. right so that's probably gonna Drury's gonna want him to take a bridge deal miller from what he did in the regular season he had a really i didn't think he was that good in the playoffs no in round he was one um so i think drury might hold that against him so hopefully he was he'd be willing to take a bridge deal of like two years uh i don't i don't know because before then i was saying like it's got to be like a five-year deal for him right uh kind of like the shisterkin contract but Now you don't have that much room to work with. Like, forget about bringing Tarasenko, Kane, Nikola back. Like, that's not going to happen. Like, We are well beyond that point. Like, I could see Tyler Mott coming back. It looks like that that he is interested in coming back. You know what sucks about that? Bringing that back. Yeah, they Go could ahead.
1: have had Tyler Mott the entirety of last season if they just traded Ryan Reeves yeah. in the offseason as opposed to holding on to yeah. him. Or if they didn't games.
0: extend him prematurely. Reeves. Yes. Like, well, no, they... that
1: was the condition of the trade was he got the extension. That was the condition of the trade with Vegas, because he told Vegas, if you trade me, I'm gonna retire. And then the Rangers were like, We'll give you a second year. And then he said, Okay. And oh, came to the Rangers. Okay. That okay. that's that's the reason they gave him that second year out of the gate, which terrible business. But that this is something that we'll talk about. About now because we're talking about the salary cap the rangers have been in these cap gymnastics for a while now and they have really kind of had to box themselves in where they can't give guys as much value so what do they do they give them term They give them no-move clauses, limited no-move clauses, and that's to keep the AAV down. Trocek's deal is as long as it is because he's got a lower AAV. If the Rangers had the cap space, they could have given him more money on fewer years, but instead Mm -hmm. we are where we are now where you've got four guys in your top six who all have no moves. You've got Truba, who's got a no-move for one more year, and your only real cap casualty you can get rid of is Goudreau, which he's a useful player. They're going to need a fourth-line center. But you can't justify paying a fourth line center who gets twenty four points, three point six million. You just can't, and it sucks because they're going to have to give up a draft pick probably to get rid of that contract, and that's another hole you have to fill in.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you need more Barkley Goodrows in the lineup. It just sucks that it's three point six billion dollars.
1: Yeah, no, that they you had talk- to. They they had to. They had to overpay to get them.
0: You you talk. I know you talk about this every offseason. Every offseason, there's always depth forwards, third and fourth liners that become available in free agency. This the Rangers years, could have signed Dylan
1: Strom – for $2 million this year, and he would have given them the exact same production that Vinny Trocek did. They could have signed John Merrill, who would have given them the exact same yeah, production that, a
0: couple years ago, that Patrick
1: Nemeth or um Nico Mikula or Ben Harper would have given them. And John Merrill got a good extension in Minnesota to stay there for three years. I think it was 1.3, 1.4, yeah. which yep. would be beautiful, which is exactly what the Rangers need from their sixth D. But instead, you know, they like the name brand stuff. They like buying guys who have credibility from other organizations that's part of the going back to what i was talking about before the they don't want to put the work in they don't want to develop a any Trochek. they would rather just buy one they don't want to develop a jacob trubuth they would rather just trade for one and it gets to this idea now where you've turned over a lot of this roster in the last two years you compare this roster to the roster from the 56 game season that david quinn has there are not a lot of guys who are still here especially in the bottom half of the lineup And it's hard to build a a cohesive unit with one identity when you are constantly having to tinker around the edges because, A, your guys at the top are too expensive to get rid of. So all you can do is tinker around the edges. But because your guys at the top of the lineup aren't good enough to really get you over that hump, all you can really do is get back to where we are. The lineup is good. It's got talent. But what's the identity? What are you going to be able to do? Well, we can't get rid of these guys, so we have to tinker around the edges and try and find guys for cheap. The only real solution I saw someone suggest, it might have been Hockey stat Statminer, it might have been Josh Califin, was they need to find over 35 guys they can do the incentive contracts with, like what the Bruins did with Bergeron and Krejci this year. That's really the only so obvious solution that's out there, but there's no one really out there that fits that mold that's Court enticing. Day. That's one guy, and Corey Perry. If he's going to play fourth line minutes, eight minutes, ten minutes, he's going to play ten minutes a game at five on five. Maybe he kills penalties. Maybe he sneaks onto the second power play unit. That's you know twenty at most fifteen percent of the entire minutes in a game. If we're if that's all we got as far as like solutions for a team getting eliminated in round one, you're going to get eliminated in round one again. Corey Perry's fine for what he is at this point in his career, but they need a lot more than just one bottom six forward.
0: Yeah, I, I think they probably – hindsight is twenty twenty, of course, but it would have been better if they went after a Barbashev or a Hathaway or, or – Oh, a yeah, Dad. I wanted Nino
1: Niederreiter. Nino Niederreiter and Nick Bukestad were my two guys. Those yeah. were the two guys I wanted at the deadline.
0: Credit Edmonton for going out and getting better bottom six players. I will yeah. credit them. I've, I've harped on them for a long time for, you know, just having – just being too top-heavy. They actually did put in the work to – know yeah balance out that that top six and you know the middle the top nine really uh, yeah they did a good job with that Um uh, i think yeah i like i like hathaway or barbachev right like but i don't know how much they're gonna ask for I, I have no idea no idea nhl gms they like to throw money at those those uh those middle six players like you go connor garland right even you go yep. back to like Milan Lucic or Andrew Ladd, they always throw the money at these players. Like, and it's so, it's so not even close to what they're worth, right? Like, uh, look at how bad the Lucic contract played out. The Ladd contract, how bad that one was. David Clark said, right? Like, oh, all those yeah. Things.
1: Barkley Goodrow. Yeah. You think about it where these guys who come from winning organizations who have won things, they see that they've won things in other places and teams go, we need some of that over here. Even if this contract ages badly, we need your intangibles. We need your experience. We need your institutional knowledge so that maybe you retain some of the information you learned while you were over there. While you were talking, I looked it up on Evolving Hockey. They have Barbashev at 4.7 in their contract projection and Hathaway at 2.8 so neither of those guys i mean hathaway probably you could probably squeeze hathaway in but that's one guy again that's one guy and he plays the left which you already have four left wings so it it becomes complicated it really becomes complicated and i think the most obvious solution to a lot of this is going to be the in-house guys uh I don't think Austin's going to play this year. If he does, it'll be towards the end of the season. Everything I've read and heard, he needs more seasoning. He needs to play in the AHL. He can't go straight from junior to the NHL. That that was always a tough proposition. I think Cooley, he'll get a real look this year because they need cheap guys to be in the bottom six. But maybe they can find another Jimmy VZ type to take a PTO and they luck into someone else who's decent. But mm-hmm. that's really going to be the bulk of the, the roster turnover will be in-house guys there's not a lot of interesting guys out there. This is the weakest free agency in a while.
0: Yep. Yep. I, I could agree with you on that in-house solutions. Like it's going to be Robertson. It's going to be Cooley. It's going to be, it's going to be Zach Jones. Like those guys are going to have to, you know, come up and that's, which is why I, I like the idea of bringing in Knoblock because I don't want another old head coach, like an old boys club coach. Cause then you're just going to no. have the same damn thing. Like, exactly is, is anything really gonna change if you don't adapt to like today's nhl like the devils are fast if you just keep going with the same like these players can't dump and chase the puck right like we, they don't have the foot speed to do it they don't they're not like carolina
1: they right? don't have so, the will to do it either it's yeah. one thing to get there Mika Zibanejad don't want to do that. Chris Kreider does that when he wants to. Panarin does that when he wants to. trocheck does that when he wants to. It's one thing to be able to do it. It's another thing to actually want to do it, which we've seen the Rangers repeatedly not do.
0: They don't have the school. They don't have like the tools to to be like that. No, nope. heavy offense as, as as like Carolina is. I act, so like transitioning to like going back to like the free agency thing. um, the Jesper Foss, like, Panarin thing. I, I heard about that yesterday or the day before. I don't know if that's a – if that – I loved Foss when he was on the Rangers. I don't know how much money he's looking for. I wouldn't be opposed to bringing a guy like that back, like someone that could skate. They definitely The Rangers definitely need more foot speed in the bottom six. That's for damn sure. Uh, the top six, that's a strategy. Like, that's got to be, like, whatever coach they bring in has got to fit those players' style. I don't. I don't know. I don't know which of the the available coaches like Laviolette, Sutter, Sutter, fit that. But I, I don't know. Those guys don't move the needle for me. Knoblock does because I, I go back to my point. Like the Jay Woodcroft, Jared Bednar, and John Cooper all started in like the ECHL, the AHL, something like that. You no, know, that those places, right? They all faced adversity too, right? Like they they all. Got to that point where it's like, you know, we're we're at a point where we need to be able to get over the hump. It was the second round for the Avalanche, right? It yeah. was uh, the one year the the Lightning got knocked out in the first round after having the best season in history until the Bruins had it this year. Then they came, they rebounded, they rebounded when people questioned them, and Bednar too came into a weird situation where he like directly replaced Patrick Wah. I was looking it up yeah. yesterday. And he barely had any time to get stuff going. And the Avalanche had a really bad season his first year. Then the following season, they had like a, a near 50 point improvement and made the playoffs. So it's not that the, it's not like you need a Mark Bessier or Mike Keenan in there. Like, I'm sure those guys would be good as like assistants somewhere. I don't think that's the answer for what the Rangers need right now. No, no, no.
1: So the point we can make on Knobloch and the, the concise way to say it is, It's good process. You can't guarantee good results, but if you have good process where you look what other teams are doing to be successful and you try and mimic that, it is justifiable. It is defensible. Bringing in a retread is not doing what the smart teams around the league are doing. If you have good process, at least you can defend yourself knowing you had sound logic in your decision making. Bringing in a retread. You're going to get what Gallant did because Gallant is one of those guys. He's been around. He knows what it takes to just get in the playoffs. You ride the hot goalie, whatever. But if you have good process and you don't have good results, at least you can feel like you're not being you're not wasting your time. That that's really the biggest problem when you do the retread stuff is you feel like you're wasting your time because you saw what these guys have done at other stops. You saw how it ended for Laviolette. You saw how it ended for Sutter, for Bedros, etc. It always ends the same way for the retreads. Some of them, yeah, some guys do need a second opportunity as a head coach to win a championship. But three, four, five, that's where you start getting to the, okay, it's not going to happen.
0: Mm-hmm. And I, all right, so, like, let's look at Knobloch, too. Like, it's not like the Rangers are going to, like, take it back, a step back next year because they're going to focus on developing the guys. Like, look at Jay Woodcroft. He went in there, no NHL experience took over in the middle of last season and they went to the conference final. And Connor McDavid genuinely likes the guy as a coach. So he must be doing something right. If he could, if if you get a guy that could could relate to the players and get them to buy in and actually have them like the the coach, then you have something. And then I could say like, okay, this team could take a step forward next year. They took a step they took a huge leap last year. They overachieved. You said it before. They overachieved. This year, huge step backwards, first round exit. Next year, they might be able to take a little step forward with, with it. That's not that's not a bad thing for the organization, right? Anything above the first round to me next year is a win, is a win. Think about the the, the contract-like situation, the cap situation that they have in front of them they vastly vastly underperformed this year right if they could get themselves back to the spot that they are again that they were this year have way more consistency like so you have the same results but you consistently get there instead of you know you show up one game you don't show up the next game you show up for the next two and then you don't show up for the next five right you turn the puck over if you stop that i would much rather have that than whatever it was this year it was two on and off this year.
1: The elephant in the room for all of this is the clock is ticking. Yeah. Panarin is getting older. Criders, Abinijad Trocek. Those guys are all getting older minute by minute. As we sit here talking, recording this podcast, every minute you wait because you need to find the right coach. You need to figure out the margins. You're, Losing effectiveness from your most expensive players, and Andrew made the point on Liberty Blue on Monday that the Rangers could become the Jets very quickly, where you have Shifley Wheeler and you have really talented guys. Shifley and Wheeler are decent hockey players. You have Pierre Luc Dubois. You have Kyle Connor. You have Josh Morrissey. You have the elite goalie. But at a certain point, those older guys they stop playing defense altogether. They only focus on their offense, and you start becoming an empty calorie team where you have to score every two power, every other power play, every fourth power play if you really want to have a chance because you're not good at five on five because you have an older group who has to make the conscious decision. Well, if I try now on defense, I'm not going to be able to try hard on offense because my body physically cannot do it anymore. Mathematically, you're most valuable as a player from 24 to 27. Your counting stats are at your best from 29 to 31. That is rooted in the physical ability, being able to be... When I say impacts, I'm including defense in terms of like the goals against stuff like that because you are at your physical prime, your physical peak as an athlete from 24 to 27. Those are the years you are going to have the most energy, be able to play the best defense. As you get older, your defense starts to deteriorate. It is part of the reason Panarin's value has gone down the last two, three years. He had the best season of his career value-wise the first year he was in New York, that 2019-2020 season. It's not like he was playing amazing defense, but he was giving them more defensively than he is now. And that really is where the value problems are going to be coming into play more and more. You think about Zbigniew Jad in that series against the Devils. He sure locked his ass off. Zbigniew Jad was not able to get a whole lot done when he sure was out there on the ice against him. As Zbigniew Jad gets older, they're still going to be throwing him out there to be the eraser center, that if he's on the ice against the other team's best forward, it's his responsibility to not let them do that. He wasn't very good at it this year, and he's 30. What's he going to be like at 33 when he's got to play 24-year-old Jack Hughes? That, that That's really what it comes down to and why the Rangers are in such a difficult position because your core is old, and then your young guys are unproven. So you're really up against it in terms of pro- what you're prioritizing with the coach you bring in.
0: I you have bring yet, in a... Yeah, I have yet to see anything that indicates the Rangers are looking at it the way that you just laid out, but go ahead. <laughs>
1: Oh, yeah, no, because the Rangers don't plan. The Rangers are putting – they go from fire to fire putting out the fire. The perfect example is the salary cap management of the last year and a half. You knew you were going to be in a position to add guys at the deadline. They weren't doing the paper AHL stuff in the fall of this year. They were rostering 23 guys and not accumulating cap space. Those little things, because they were trying to win every single game early in the season because they were struggling. They were not planning ahead. The 16 skater games when they were waiting for Kane to get here, all of that stuff tells me that they're not planning ahead. They brought in Trocek. Trocek's a good player. He does not fit anything remotely the way Gerard wants to play hockey. He does not fit the skill sets of the guys around him. He is a straight-line, dump-and-chase coursey guy he's going to get a lot of scoring chances he's not a particularly talented shooter so he's going to be a volume guy the rangers are not a volume shooting team the rangers are a picky they're a selective team they don't take a lot of chances because they like to maintain the offensive zone they like to work the cross scene pass and generate offense that way they like bringing in guys with names with cl- credibility from other organizations they don't care how the fit works they just bring them in think about what they did with Kane uh, It it tells you all you need to know about how they think about the team is in the decisions, because you're not going to get good scoops. Nobody is that plugged in on the Rangers decision making processes. You only get ideas about what they're thinking when they make transactions. So the coach, that'll be the first thing. And what they do with with Miller and Loft, that'll be really the telltale of if they bridge them, they give them a really hard time. That means they're going to try and get creative and bring in something else expensive. That probably means Goudreau is definitely gone. But if they give them term, then, okay, they're going to ride it out with these guys and try and give them a real opportunity to improve. I think they're going to do the bridges and try and get somebody of the Barkley-Goudreau ilk in here, whether that be a Hathaway, a Barberchef, someone like that. To just keep pushing chips in, because when your most expensive guys are in their early thirties, you can't wait. You can't wait for Kako, Lafreniere, Hedl, Miller, Schneider, etc., to figure it out. You don't have the time. You cannot waste a year of Zubinajid, Kreider, Panarin, etc. You can't. You can't justify it. Panarin,
0: going back to him, I don't think he's a cap casualty. There's, nah, there's, he, there's, he, Some people have have speculated at like, all right, Colorado's lost. Landis Cog for the year. They can LTIR him and then like call Drury and see if and Joe Sackett could call Drury and ask for Finari. don't think that's happening. I yeah. think it's, I think for a guy that had over 90 points each of like the, the like three seasons, three, four seasons, well, if you don't count the, uh, the, the, uh, the year. lockout year, the 2020, 2021 season, if you don't count that year, like a guy that's, that represents such a, a large portion of your offense it's asking a lot for Lafreniere and Kako to replace that when they haven't done it yet but again like maybe if they are the guy then like they were in juniors or in Europe then they would flourish but we don't know that yet so i think it's a it's a it's not a good idea to, to trade Canarin and I, I i can't blame everything on him i understand that You know, he wasn't. He didn't get many points in the playoff series, and he didn't show up, and he was like a ghost or whatever. But I think a big thing that I've noticed over the past two years with him and Gallant is that instead of cutting into the middle of the ice, down the left side, he always peels off the board. Always. Always. He did not do that. He barely did that under David Quinn. The two years with Quinn, he would cut to the middle of the ice, especially that first year. And that's when he would use his wrist shot. When yeah. he would cut to the slot and he would rip the 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 wrister, like he does not do that. He looks he looked to shoot his first two years with with of his contract with Quinn. He looked to pass with the next two years under Gallant, and I don't like that that style from Panarin. I think he needs to get back cutting into the middle of the ice. I don't know why he's doing it. Maybe he saw the trooper. He doesn't have the foot
1: speed anymore. I was talking about this with somebody the other day is he doesn't have the foot speed to play the way he did the first two years. He's getting older. He's slowing down. He is more of a facilitator. He's always been more of a facilitator than a shooter but now that he's older, he doesn't have the straight line foot speed. You didn't see the crazy transition stuff you saw the first two years he was in New York this year. It was a lot more of the him looking to pass laterally in the neutral zone or gaining the zone, like you said, peeling off to the wall and waiting for everyone to catch up. He's a decent skater. He's, not, he's never been elite straight line speed, but he's always been a decent skater. But now you can tell he's changing his game as he's getting older. He's trying to facilitate more because he feels he can't make that play cutting to the middle. He shoots less because he either, A, can't get to areas he feels like he can shoot from, or B, he's being actively told, hey, facilitate more, facilitate more. It, it, the way I'll lay it out is very simple. He took less to come here. He's the eighth most expensive player in the entire league. He's got a full no move. The Rangers have stu- – the two times he's been kind of in the center of fire where they gave him the two-week leave of absence, no questions asked. They spoke out against the Russian government. Then when Tom Wilson ragdolled him in the la- in that game, again, they-, they issued the most stinging statement against the Department of Player Safety ever. The team clearly l- values him immensely. He is one of the key components of the marketing, the allure. He's one of the stars, etc. The teammates like him. They value him. Even though he didn't have a great playoffs, it's a lot easier to get rid of a coach than the eighth most expensive player in the entire league. And that's why we are where we are right now.
0: Yeah. I can't, I cannot place all the blame on, on Panarin. You said at the very beginning of the show, it's a collectively as a team, they did not, they did not produce. They failed to show up. Like you can't point fingers at every single, at like one particular guy. Like, collectively they collapsed they didn't they didn't have it they, they no. just didn't have it the doubles were the better team and and they lost they lost and yep. now they have to pick up the pieces and make themselves better next year and that's the interesting thing i want to see how the, the what they do with the coach because i'll agree with you like where they go with this coach is going to be really telling them what direction like they really think they they are like or or where they are right now as, a, as an organization how far along in this process they really are, because if they go with a guy like Knobloch, then it's like a message to the kids: Come on, you're you're coming out, you're coming with us for the for the ride with these thirty uh, year olds, with Zabanajad, with the Criders, with Panarin. They go with the Sutter. They still think those four guys that you mentioned are going to lead them to the promised land. I don't think those four guys are going to be enough to lead you to the promised land. You need a lot
1: more than four guys. You need a lot more than four guys. That's been the Rangers issue. Oh, this in the last two years is they don't have enough guys. They've got a decent top six. And then what they've treated the kids production as like a throw in, like whatever they get from them, they'll take it. They haven't made it a priority to get the most out of them.
0: Which is why a guy like Knobloch having that, that, that perspective Adds that aspect to it. So like they wouldn't even have to do any work to like change the development staff. They would just need to put Knoblock there. You, you'd add in a couple good assistants, like a veteran here and there or whatever. I don't know who's available, like that wants to be an assistant coach, but you throw them in there and there you go. Like Knoblock is going to, you know, prioritize that. I, I have faith that he would because he's worked with with you know talented players before whether that's in the juniors or if that's in the AHL, even when he came up into the NHL, the Rangers looked so relaxed under him. It was only a few games that he was there, but it looked so See, the relaxed. The counterpoint
1: to that is you were in high school. You remember having a substitute teacher and nobody being that stressed out about having yeah. a substitute teacher. That's the, that's, that's the pushback good. on that. It was three games. I can't, I can't take three games in a in a fake season with no fans in the crowd, particularly seriously. That's a good point. That's a good point. Very good point, actually. Uh, but <laughs> I
0: mean
1: I I like the I'm fact that him
0: too. I like I'm in on him
1: or Jay Leach. Those are the only two candidates I'm even remotely interested in. And they're both Dave Hackstall assistants. have experience as Dave Hackstall assistants, which the, if you've watched the Kraken this year, volume team, which again, I don't think that's well situated to the Rangers talent, they are not a shoot first group. They are going to overpass and it's gonna be difficult to get them to break the habits they've had for it's gonna be very
0: frustrating. It's like the same they they've done it for years, like where they overpass, like they have the open net and they just decide to give it to the teammate. I I I can't stand that. I can't stand that.
1: They're picky. They're overly selective. They generate dangerous chances, but because they don't make a lot of total chances, they're never going to have great underlying numbers. Mm -hmm. In a vacuum, the way the Rangers wanted to play makes sense for the talent they have. Picky on offense, very passive on defense, encourage the other team to take bad shots, go the other way with speed. Then once you get there, take your time, pick apart the defense. It all makes sense in a vacuum. But because you couldn't get them to execute the way you wanted to play, you got the clunky, disjointed mesh you got this season.
0: We'll have to see. We'll have to see what's going to happen. I think if if you want to lay out a timeline or or an order, a list of what's going to happen first, I think the coach comes first. And then any decisions regarding cap space comes out of that.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, definitely, definitely, definitely. That's going to be part of the process is them sitting down with different candidates and talking like, so we want you to focus on this, this, and this. What would you do to facilitate that? Once we know who they've talked to, which we still don't know if they've talked to anyone yet, it's been pretty clamped down in terms of information of even who they're considering talking to. I know some of the candidates they probably want to talk to are still in the playoffs, which is why we probably haven't heard anything, anything yet. But, yeah, we'll, we'll know soon enough. I, I can't imagine this is going to drag on that long unless they really have their heart set on somebody who's going deep in the playoffs.
0: Yeah, and, like, Knoblock is is currently in the, the conference finals for the AHL, so yeah. uh, you're not going to hire him right away, right? So you got to wait and see. Hopefully they win the championship down there. It's pretty crazy that the Wolfpack haven't made the playoffs in years, and now they're in the third round. Uh, hey,
1: man, hockey's but- a weird sport.
0: Yeah, quite a turnaround there. Hopefully they could get it done. That would be that would be sick. I I was checking out the roster. I think Adam Sakura is like on that team now. And
1: yeah, he came over Sikora. from Europe a few weeks. Of, I want to say like the first week of May, yeah. last week of March, April. I mean, something like that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh. So hopefully he gets in a couple of games. So I could see. I, I'm gonna try and watch watch the game, game one of that that third round is tonight at seven. I think I was checking it out. So I'm interested to see that. I haven't watched an AHL game ever. So uh i gotta make sure to tune into that but uh anyways nick thanks so much for doing this with me really appreciate it uh hopefully we get some clarity on where the rangers are at
1: and uh like soon (laughs) yeah definitely that's the dream man as long as like i said before if you feel okay about the process the results you'll see when it happens if the process is bad then we can start the panic Mm -hmm. and hopefully the mets get their shit together it'd be nice it's a little early for baseball memorial day's Two weeks, three weeks away. That's when you can start to worry. Yeah. yeah. Memorial Day,
0: all-star break. Yeah. yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's wrap this one up. Hey, Rangers fans. Thank you so much for listening to the Ice Cold Takes podcast this week. Make sure you follow at Ice Cold Takes Pod on Twitter to stay up to date with the latest Rangers info. See you all Closing next week. time.
1: You don't have to go home,
0: but you can't stay. No!